You're listening to High Temperature Times, and this month we're doing something special for the refractory industry. Harbison Walker International supplies refractory products to a whole lot of industries, and as much as I want to dive deep into each and every one of them, it would take years. So this month we're dedicating the podcast to metals, and we're going to take a tapas approach to the industry with five weeks of bite-sized views into the ferrous and non-ferrous metals industries. To start, we're going to be talking with Joe Rigby about the copper industry. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Griffin. I must admit, I've been looking forward to having you on for a while, as you always make for a great chat. Why don't you give us the very abridged version of your long history with HWI? You know, I thought about that. And the best thing, really, if you're really interested in this topic, is to go to my LinkedIn page. I've probably got five papers, conference papers, articles, and there's a great deal of information there about what I've been doing for the past 25 years. But to put it in a nutshell, I'd say I came to Canada about 40 years ago. At the time, I was actually working on customer service with used refractories. So I actually did have an opportunity to look at a lot of different types of brick used in the copper industry and uh, analyze them for the different uh, wear mechanisms. And so I got a good grounding in the, uh, the use of magnesia chrome refractories for use in non-ferrous industries. And I had the opportunity also to work in research on developing different types of mag-chrome bricks. So I'd, I'd say I've, I've actually had really about 25 years experience in just copper. You are certainly well-rounded then. <laughs> so this is, this is a big industry. And to think that we could cover the application overview, the market overview, product discussion, and HWI support strategy in such a quick burst is laughable. So let's just cut the fat and focus on one or two things. I know you've personally led a strong push on supplying refractory to the global copper industry. Can you tell me a little bit about what the industry looks like in different parts of the world and how HWI has managed to crack that nut? I'd have to simplify it. You're right. Let's cut the fat. Let's, let's talk about the fact that there, there does not need to be a huge variety of refractories for copper smelting because really what you're doing is you're taking ore out of the ground, which is a copper iron sulfide, you're melting it, you're oxidizing it, and you're producing iron oxide, which is removed by uh, fluxing with silica, and the SO2 is captured into an acid plant, and then after you've removed the iron and the sulfur, you're left with the copper. So what you're doing is generating an iron silicate slag. That's the only thing you've got to worry about in in the converting side. Now, once you take it over to the anode refining side, where you've got copper sulfide, um, you're generating copper oxide. So really, you need refractories that that withstand iron oxide and copper oxide. Simple as that. We've engineered the brick so that on the one hand, where we have very, very high, severe slag attack with iron oxide and copper oxide, we've engineered a brick which is very dense, very low porosity, 13% 13% porosity and very low in magnesia. So that will withstand iron oxide much better than any of the higher magnesia brands. Now, what we've done is concentrate on the idea of cost benefit. We've tried to make a very competitive brand, our Narmag 60CU, which is perfectly adequate for areas where there's, there's no turbulent slag and no high wear. So in the roof of a converter, in the roof of an anode furnace, in the hearth of a smelting furnace, 
this brake will work not not just adequately it'll work superbly and you don't need anything else in there now on a slag line area where you're generating a lot of copper oxide iron oxide you really do need a dense low porosity brake and that's where we engineered the super Narmag 148cu so we've I've, I've tried to make it as simple as possible so it was a, it's sort of a supply issue then trying to get the the international market covered is is really just sim- simplifying the supply yes we've got a brick we've engineered it to be very competitive price-wise obviously and it's worked everywhere we've used it everywhere we've used it and then the other brick as i said the fused grain containing brick it's uh, it's worked fine in tweer areas and highway areas uh complete smelting furnaces using the super narmag 148cu so i think we've definitely got to the point where we have the the brand range that covers the requirements for the copper smelting industry and then to your point it's from there it's all about the installation yes I've had, we've had big huge significant changes in in performance when we use the brick and install it correctly and it's all about basically relieving the thermal expansion of the brick at the hot face because if, if the brick gets um, infiltrated with oxides and the temperature gets to the point where the, the expansion forces the hot face into compression, you, you, you lose it. it the, the hot face spalls off and you, you start losing brake. I think that segues well into, into my next question um, about the copper industry and, and how it links up quite well with other ferrous and non-ferrous industries. Is there any kind of knowledge share that has helped the refractory industry better serve your customers? 30 or 40 years ago, magnesia chrome bricks were used extensively throughout the industry. They were used in steel, they were used in cement, I think they used to use a lot, quite a lot in glass as well. And the issue came because of the production of hexavalent soluble chrome in, in, the, um, in the used brick. They, they banned it. So I don't know how long ago it is now, but it's got to be a heck of a long time ago. Mm. It's probably over 25 years ago when they banned the use of microchrome brick for, for manufacturing of steel or uh, cement. So it's, it's been a huge change you know, in, in, in technology. To the point where now the only uh, metallurgical processes that use microchrome bricks are copper, nickel, and lead. And um, it's simply because, as, as, as we've just discussed, if you are generating huge amounts of iron oxide, you have to use a microchrome brick because the microchrome brick is formulated so that when you fire it, the magnesia gets saturated with the iron and the chrome. And so it doesn't react with the iron oxide in the brick. But there's no reaction in that case with uh, the brick to form any kinds of hexavalent chrome. So it's a completely safe situation. The problem with steel was that you were adding lime and the lime itself on the, the slag line literally reacts with the, with the brick to form hexavalent chrome. So I've come to understand that copper processing is more than just heating it and forming it, and uh, certain things are added into the system to treat the melt. Can you tell me a little bit about that, why it's done, and what the challenges that it puts on the refractory are? Well, you see, I think we're talking more and more now about secondary copper, where we're actually um, recovering copper from scrap. I mean, the thing about copper scrap can be that it can contain huge amounts of zinc or tin, uh, other alloying metals because you know if you've got brass or different bronzes you know brass can c- contain anywhere between 10 and 30 percent zinc 
bronze can have anywhere between 10 and 15% tin. But there's also various alloys of copper with manganese and various additives, a little bit of lead sometimes. Right. And if you can pick this scrap up, you know, for 75 cents on the dollar, and you can put it in a furnace and refine it down to uh, copper that is that is clean enough and pure enough to be made into electrical wire, you're, you're spinning straw into gold. Because, you, you know, but think that the, the problem is that the, the process is incredibly corrosive because you can you can get a furnace, put 200 tons of scrap copper in it, and then what you've got to do is you have huge oxyfuel burners to melt it into a bath and to remove the aluminum and the iron and the tin and the zinc you've got to blow air into the molten copper scrap and oxidize all the um, contaminating metals out of it now the only way you can do that to keep the contaminating metals in an oxide form in a slag is to add very very corrosive fluxes so you're adding things like borax you know sodium borate or sodium phosphate or adding a little extra silica so by the time you've added all this uh, very very corrosive slag uh, slag forming agents and then you blow air into it for six to eight hours you're literally making a, a, a furnace very very quickly corroded and on top of that what they will do is they will take this um, scrap metal bath of copper and then oxidize it then they will discard the slag put fresh fluxes in there to, to keep going because if you if the slag gets too too diluted with aluminum and iron and you know you can't get it out of there so what they do is they, they'll blow for three hours and then dispense with the slag and then add more fluxes and more flux formers to form a, a more fluid more e effective slag to absorb more and more of the uh, smaller quantities of, of contaminants that are in there but if the if the refractory can take it then you can actually manufacture very very clean copper out of very dirty scrap. So there's there's a huge economic benefit to that. Now, what we did about five years ago is introduce alumina chrome brick in that situation. And very, very high, you know, 50% chromium oxide, alumina chrome brick like Jade 52XL. We put it on the slag line of these um, high, high intensity scrap melting furnaces and um, they're incredibly happy with it. It was it was it really was a revolutionary step because these these processors now can run for two years without having to change the refractory and they're generating a lot of cash because they're making they're making copper that's you know 370 from a scrap that's 85 cents a pound so there's there's a huge amount of interest right now in in the US and in Europe to uh, to work on this because it's uh, you know it adds up to the sustainability thing when you can start to take all the copper scrap and you can purify it down to a, a, a grade that can be used for electrical wire. Thank you, Joe. I know that there's a lot more to discuss when it comes to the refractory technology in the copper industry, and I really hope to have you back to go into the full deep dive, but I appreciate the small insight you gave us today. If you'd like to learn more about HWI's involvement in copper processing, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com to learn more. And be sure to tune in next week for another installment of High Temperature Times Metals March. Thanks for listening.